Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spring Hill Facebook Live Edition. Hey, hi, Becca, Dean, Tori, Reed, rocking the tech for us. Guys, I was thinking about this. Um, this is now five weeks in a row where we have worshipped without socks or shoes, and I still can't find my car keys. So, um, yep, this is uh, crazy times we're in. Um, uh, welcome to, to worship. Welcome to Spring Hill. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are so grateful that you are here. Um, this is live. I, so, some people asked earlier this week of whether or not these are recorded or live. Um, and so we, we have a question for you. We just want to get started today. Tell us where you're worshiping from, but more importantly, tell us what you're doing this weekend in this awesome new weather. Uh, we want to know what you did yesterday, and I'm still trying to make plans for today, so tell me what your plans are this afternoon. Uh, Becca mentioned, like, people can now stream us on the trails. Like, you can go to worship and go hiking all at the same time. Uh, it's crazy. Let me tell you a couple of announcements for uh, the good of our, our church. Um, one, if you are a college student that is graduating, um, you don't get the graduation this year. And, and we want to help celebrate in any way that we can. So if you can let us know by the 29th, we've got a couple of you listed, but we want to make sure we don't miss anybody. We're going to be celebrating that, I think, May 3rd. May 3rd as a community online, and um, uh, we'll do a good job of uh, embarrassing you, learning more about uh, where God is leading you in the next uh, coming coming weeks and months ahead. Um, also, speaking of weeks and months ahead, um, you've heard a lot, a lot, I know this week, about plans to reopen America. Um, our elders are going to meet Monday night, 5.30 p.m., to discuss more about what that looks like for Spring Hill. We don't have any concrete plans. We, we do plan to continue to follow the guidelines of our, our local officials. We've got fantastic people in our community uh, that are leading us through that. So we're going to meet uh, Monday night. Please keep us in, in prayer. But, uh, but for now, um, that's the announcements we have for you today. Let me invite you. Let's just join in worship. Ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to come into your homes. And Becca, will you lead us in worship?
Thanks, Becca. That was great. Today's scripture just talks about the greatness of God. And it's times like this when we need to see just how great God is to help us to be at rest. Because if we're not at rest, we're not focusing on the Lord. So let's look at how we can gain rest from focusing on how great God is. And just read with me and listen with me for Psalm 29, 1 through 2. Just two verses. But hear how great the Lord is. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let's make that our focus this week. It's just the greatness of God. in worship, Becca. Amen. Hi, boys and girls. Miss Tori here. All right, come close. I have a message for you guys today. And first of all, I miss you guys so much, and I really hope that you are doing okay and having some fun. But oh, I almost forgot. I need to put this on before I start today's lesson. Boys and girls, do you know what this is? 
my bike helmet and I have to wear it when I go bike riding. Now, does anybody know why I would wear a bike helmet when I go bike riding? Or why you would, why do we wear helmets? Say it out loud, why? You're right, for protection. It helps keep me safe. Now, boys and girls, today's Bible story is also about protection and things that we can wear to keep us safe. So today we are learning from the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we are learning about the armor of God. Now, this armor, we can't see it and we can't touch it and we can't actually put it on like a bike helmet, but we can pray for God, pray that God will help us to remember to put it on each day. So I'm going to read a little bit about what this is. So again, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up your shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, boys and girls, like I said, we can't touch this armor and we can't um, physically put it on. But these are the things that God gives us to protect ourselves from sin and from um, evil in the world. Now, there's a lot of other really cool things to learn from this lesson, but unfortunately, I don't have the time right now. But I did send all of your parents a Sunday school video, and if they can't find it, it's also going to be attached on this page where Miss Lauren and I teach you guys a little bit more about the lesson. But before you guys go, can we all pray together? Will you close your eyes and bow your heads and repeat after me? Dear God, Thank you for loving us and protecting us with the armor that you provide. Please help us to remember to put on this armor each day and to stand firm in your truth and in your promises, even in the midst of scary times. Thank you, and we love you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, boys and girls, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. I'm sending you a high five, and we'll see you soon. Well, um... Thought we were going to sing "Seek Ye First, but um, uh, uh, Tori, thank you for that that children's sermon. Uh, we are so grateful for the the ministry that you uh, are given to our kids, and um, and for your love and uh, and thank you for those lessons. Becca, you're back on. Will you continue to lead us? Yeah, we Thanks. picked a song especially for the kids today, right? Because we yeah. just heard from Miss Tori, and so if you guys are still there. We're going to sing a song. Hopefully you all know it's called Seek Ye First. And all the adults can sing with us too, but this is especially for the kids. All right, sing with me. Seek. 
children, young and old, said amen. Becca, amen. thank you for leading that in that song. Um, and that's certainly my prayer this morning that we would just seek first his kingdom. And uh, we're jumping into this new sermon series today um, on the book of Nehemiah, of all things. Um, and here's what I love about this book. Um, the pages of this story uh, tell us what faithful leadership looks like in uncertain and unfortunate times. And you know, as Christians, if you think about it, we're by default leaders, right? Called by Jesus Christ to lead others back to him. And I was, I was reading the story that begins in Ezra Maya and then continues on into Nehemiah earlier this week. Um, I, I love how God's word is timeless. Both Ezra and Nehemiah tell this story that's not only a case study in how to pursue God in the midst of hardship, but it also comes with this warning of what not to do when life gets rough. So over the next few weeks, we're going to cover this, this story together. Um, and, uh, you know, let me just set this up for us. Um, here's what happened. Just hang with me for a minute as I, I tell this story and get us prepared. Um, God's people had been taken captive by this foreign enemy, right? Um, we know them as Babylon. And Israel was torn from their homes. They were carried off uh, from Jerusalem. The city was burned to the ground. And they were taken to their enemy's land. The prophet Jeremiah had foretold God's people this was coming, and all they had to do was turn back to the Lord, but no one listened. So in their rebellion, the inevitable had now come, and they now spent their days wondering if their prayers would ever be answered again, if their lives would ever return back to normal again. And here's where things get interesting. Um, by God's mercy, after 70-some-odd years, this new kingdom of Persia comes in and wipes out Babylon. So with the Persians in control, now this new door of hope swings open and this new Persian king named Cyrus was far more gracious than the Babylonians and he allowed for God's people to return back to their homeland and begin rebuilding. There were three waves of Israelites that were returning to this homeland, uh, three waves after that. The first wave focused on rebuilding the temple, that was their main push it was led by Zerubbabel. The second wave was focused on rebuilding the faith. It was led by none other than Ezra. And the third wave was focused on rebuilding the city, beginning with its walls, led by none other than Nehemiah. And yet as each wave of Israelites arrived in the city, they found this devastating and this heart-rending scene. The temple was gone. The book of the law had all but been forgotten. The, the walls of the city reduced to ash along with their gates. And the progress that so many had hoped would begin uh, was now painfully slow. So long after that first wave, Nehemiah is serving in the Persian courts under this new king now named Artaxerxes. Cyrus had went on. And Nehemiah somehow had worked his way up, think about this, from, 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 the, from the lowly captive status all the way to the status of what was known as cupbearer to the king. And remember, the cupbearer the king was the one who would drink the, wines the king's wine first 
in order to protect him from any poison. So on the one hand, nobody wants that job. But on the other hand, this job came with prestige, right? It made him the king's most trusted advisor. So one day, Nehemiah's brother comes to visit, and in the midst of this greeting, he shares the news from back home, back in Jerusalem. And he tells him the city walls are still broken, and the town is full of trouble, and the people full of shame. And Nehemiah, we're going to find as we open this up together, he's wrecked by this. Imagine hearing how the, the place of your childhood, the memory of yesterday, has been utterly destroyed. So Nehemiah decides he's going to do something about it. And yet, before he even takes his first step, before he makes his first move, he does something really, really radical. I want us to look for it. We're going to read this first chapter together, and we're going to find out how this unique response to a crisis changed everything. Um, so let me pray for us. Let's open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read through the whole chapter, uh, and then we'll jump in. Let me pray. God, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes to see you clearly, Lord. God, that you would open our hearts to receive your word, open our ears to listen carefully for what you would have for us today. God, we thank you for what you've done in Nehemiah's life. We thank you for giving us the word as a testament to your love. God, would you shape ours too? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So listen to this. This is chapter 1 of Nehemiah. It says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there is in the province, who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Isn't that great? The, the grass withers, the flower fades, but this is the word of the Lord and it endures Forever, So we have this, this autobiography sort of from, from Nehemiah. So, so what was the first step? What was the radical move? Did you catch it of Nehemiah? I'll pause for a minute and let you brag to somebody in your house, tell them what it is. If your guess is fasting and prayer, you are right. But before you get ahead of yourself, you're only half right. Because that's not the radical part. 
Um, here's the radical part. Nehemiah's response to this bad news was not just a moment of prayer and time. He was on his knees day and night for four months long. If you look at verse 6, if you have your Bibles open with us, you'll find that he spent day and night in prayer. He confesses this first. Um, but here's the nerdy part. Here's where I cheated on you a little bit. Um, here's how we know it was four months. Um, chapter 1 tells us that this whole thing began in the month of Kislev. But if you read on to chapter 2 in just that first verse, you'll, know that, you'll notice that it says that it wasn't until Nisan that he finally went to the king to ask to go back home. In other words, Nehemiah begins his prayer life in like December, and he doesn't stop until March. Four months of prayer and fasting, day and night. That's radical. This morning, I want us to talk about what it means to pray like Nehemiah. Because if we're going to be good leaders and leaders who bring people to Christ, that's where it begins, um, especially in times like this. And to do that, I want to frame our conversation with three really random word pictures that I came up with in my head. Just go with me. We'll connect the dots by the end. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about potato sacks. We're going to talk about mine shafts. And we're going to talk about cactus. Potato sacks, mine shafts, and cactus. Um, I've had my mind on potatoes all week long. I don't know about you. Um, maybe you have as well. This, this weekend, uh, there was a report that our Valley's farmers came into town and gave away truckloads of the, the potatoes because of their loss of demand. And uh, some friends before that, some local farmers in the church, dropped us a box earlier this week, and it was such a blessing. We've had potatoes all week long. And um, in our house, we don't discriminate. Uh, we'll, we'll eat potatoes in any way we can, and we certainly did. We, we've had mashed potatoes, wedged potatoes, barbecue potatoes. Last night we had al gratin potatoes. I could go all into next week too. Um, but I have to say that with every meal, I had this pit in my stomach. Because those potatoes now symbolize that something's not right. People are hurting, even in our own neighborhoods. Farmers, ranchers, business owners, employees, students, everybody seemed to have taken a hit. And then I got to thinking, it seems like maybe people aren't addressing the grief that's come with this. You know, last night I listened to uh, this concert uh, led by celebrities in their, their million-dollar mansions, like uh, standing in front of paradise scenes. Uh, we have pictures uh, of, of, of people uh, making chalk on their sidewalks. Uh, we, we've heard stories of Zoom calls where people have happy hour together. All these things are awesome. We've, we've made the best of, an, of a challenging situation. And don't get me wrong, these are things that we should all be thankful for. But I read an article the other day, just Friday night, that said mental health call centers have experienced an 800% increase in call volume. Think about that. 800%. That's got to say something, right? In the scriptures, an empty potato sack was a sign of mourning. Um, that same material, they called it sackcloth. And it was this itchy and uncomfortable material that the Israelites would wear bare skin in order to feel literally their grief physically. Um, it itched and it scratched and it reminded them of what was going on in their own emotional and spiritual discomfort. And while we're not told that Nehemiah put on the sackcloth, we are told that the precipitating factor of his prayer was mourning and loss and grief. 
Just consider the predicament Nehemiah is in for a minute. He comes from Jewish heritage, and yet he had worked his way up all the way in the ranks of a foreign enemy government. And that life was awesome for him, right? He had it made, good to go. But he hears these reports of Jerusalem, and he's overcome by what's taking place back home. Not just because the city was torn up, but because of what it meant for God's people. Listen to this again from verse 4. He said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Here's my first point this morning. This is the first point I want us to think about in our lesson. An ongoing crisis is an opportunity to make your prayer life real again. An ongoing crisis is an opportunity for you to make your prayer life real again. You know, I think many times we get stuck in these sort of rote patterns of prayer, right? Like, uh, Lord, bless this day. God, bless this food. Uh, watch over us. Keep us safe. Um, and, and we sort of, if we're not careful, we start going through the motions. Nothing wrong with the prayers if they're heartfelt. But they're brief. They're short, sweet, to the point. And yet, in a few weeks, at least for me anyway, God has afforded us this opportunity to pull off that, that pretty veneer of our prayers and get real. Last Sunday, we held an emergency prayer meeting for the McDonald family. We did it over Zoom. Um, and you'll remember, uh, months ago, we prayed over the McDonald's as they were heading down to Denver. Their son was going to be born with a, a heart defect, little Liam. And it's crazy. In all this COVID chaos, like they're fighting their own family battle underneath all of this, uh, this storm. Um, baby Liam has been clinging to life uh, all week. He's on life support still uh, today. So last Sunday, over 50 people gathered all over the nation, friends, family, church members, elders. We didn't even know each other at the beginning of this prayer. And the only thing that was connecting us really was Christ and, and Liam. And I have to say, I just opened the door and then watched. And I have never been more humbled by the prayers of God's people. They were real. They were honest. They were heartfelt. Uh, they, we poured over uh, the family, asking God to move mountains. And as I hung up with tears in my eyes, I thought, now that is what a prayer gathering should look like on Zoom of all places. There's something to be said, I think, about Nehemiah's ability to step into his brother's shoes and get real, to weep on his behalf, to pray for him. You know, if you think about it, life is awesome where Nehemiah is, right? Like he could have said, man, that stinks for you over there in Jerusalem. I'm going to drink my wine. Life's good over here. And right here, right now in this country, we still find ourselves in a similar scenario. Like New York ain't Montana. LA ain't Montana. And yet Nehemiah can't ignore the reality because deep down he knows this world isn't right. He knows that Jerusalem's in shambles. He knows that the worship of God's people has, uh, has turned to shame and idolatry. And it's, 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 it's this ability that he has to lean into that reality that then leads to an authentic prayer life. Let me say again, we have this unique opportunity to make our prayer life real again. Leads me to my second point, which is this. Um, second point is that it's high time we learn what it is to wait on the Lord. It's high time that we relearn what it means to wait on the Lord. Four months. Think about that. Nehemiah prayed for four months, fasting and praying day and night. We've endured one month and I'm already over it. Seems to me that our prayer life is typically much more abbreviated than that. Keep it short. Expect a quick 
response. And by the way, Lord, if we don't get an answer, we're probably just going to do this thing on our own. We don't have time for that, for waiting. Timothy Keller has a name for this kind of prayer. He calls it fuse lighting. Fuse lighting. Let me explain. Um, I grew up in a, a mountain town, which meant there were mining claims everywhere, right? Back in the early 1900s in my hometown of Grand Junction, we were booming with coal and uranium mines and from an early age, uh, we would stumble on these now rusted out and old and run down mine shafts. And I was always fascinated to think about the power of the explosives that would be blowing the side of mountains apart. Like that must have been a sight to see, right? They would drill and bore these holes into the rock. And, and once the holes were placed just right, they would light a fuse and the mountainside would explode. Fuse lighting. That was everyone's favorite part, right? A, a quick blast, a, a nice light, a quick bang. And here's the thing about fuse lighting, right? Anyone can light a fuse. Anyone can push that button. Everyone loves the explosion. But not everyone takes the time to bore holes. You know, to bore holes takes patience. It, it takes endurance. It takes precision. And yet without the boreholes, there's no results, right? It would just be a loud bang with nothing to show for it. And what we find this morning is that Nehemiah's prayer life was a whole boring kind of life. Like, of course he wanted results. Of course he wanted progress. And yet somehow, for some reason, Nehemiah knows the importance of waiting on God to move before he lights his fuse. I love how Swindoll once said it. He said, we're all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. But it's not until we patiently wait on God that we begin to see what he's up to. Which leads me to my third point for us this week, and it's this. Our lives were intended to seek God first and deal with the details later. Becca, sometimes I love how the Holy Spirit moves, right? Like, I, 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 we knew we were going to sing a, a children's song, but Becca and I didn't talk about it until this morning that we would sing, Seek First His Kingdom and His Righteousness. Just spend a moment analyzing Nehemiah's prayer with me. Um, Nehemiah doesn't start with demands. He doesn't begin his prayer with complaining. He's not grumbling about the horrific situation that he's now faced with. He starts with praise, Listen to this. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who fear him. That's how he begins. You know, as a parent, like the best part of my day, the absolute most wonderful moment of any day is when on, on, on her own volition, one of my girls comes to me and says, Daddy, I love you, right? Like that just makes my heart melt. There's nothing greater. Do you ever know someone or you ever have somebody in your life who the only time they call you is when they need something? Like how well does that go over, right? Like those shallows, of that, those roots of that relationship are quite shallow. But Nehemiah begins his prayer with praise. And not only that, here's the crazy part. He then continues in confessing the sin of God's people and not just God's people. He also makes it a point to pray over the sins that he too has committed. And he still hasn't gotten to the punchline, right? Like this is not the, the main reason that he's gotten down on his knees in prayer before God. And here's why. Because Nehemiah knows that sin separates us from the Lord. Here's what I'm trying to say. Nehemiah's relationship with the Lord matters more than the results he's seeking. Let me say that one more time. His relationship with the Lord matters more than the results he's seeking. Our lives were intended 
to seek God first and deal with the details later. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let the rest worry about later. So there's a story about a woman in San Francisco, true story, who was, she was just enamored with her baby cactus. She watered that thing day and night. No one could care for that plant like she could. Um, It was the deepest green you ever saw. The county fair was coming up and she was all excited. She thought she was certain to be a winner this year. As the days approached, she washed the leaves. She put just the right amount of fertilizer in the soil. She'd talk to it in the morning. She'd sing to it at night. And finally, she decided she needed to move this cactus to a new pot so that it could grow some more. But as she pulled it up, she noticed something wasn't right. The cactus was sitting on styrofoam and had literally been glued down to it. She ran her fingers over the thorns and they felt plastic. And it was only then that she realized she had spent months cultivating a relationship with a fake plant. True story. Here's the takeaway. Um, When all we care about is results, our relationship with God starts to feel quite plastic. When we begin to treat God as a genie in the bottle who will win us the fair, we might as well be talking to ourselves. Who we seek is far more important than what we want. Our lives are intended to seek God first and worry about the details later. So finally, Nehemiah now brings this request to God. He asks him to give him favor in front of this man, the king who he will go before. You might have heard the term acron- uh, the acronym ACTS when it comes to prayer life. Um, Nehemiah has followed this to a T. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and now supplication. He brings this request to the Lord. And here's, here's how important this, this, this prayer was. Um, only God was going to pull off, allowing Nehemiah to go back home. King Artaxerxes had shut the rebuild down. His advisors had warned them that if Jerusalem was to be restored, the Israelites would become strong and they would rebel. So after four months of prayer, we're going to find out next week, Dean's going to share with us how God moves mountains. But for today, here's our focus. Potato sacks, mine shafts, and cactus. It sounds kind of like a classic Western, uh, but this is the lesson. Be real with the Lord. If you're feeling impatient, take time and prayer and take this as an opportunity to wait on him and focus more on your relationships than your results. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you for you are are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-gracious, and all-love. God, you spoke and creation came to be. Lord, you say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, God, is there somehow in Jesus Christ we are astounded that you hear us when we pray. So God, we confess to you right now that many times in our lives, maybe even in the last few hours, the last few days, God, we've turned from you. We confess, God, that, that we have not loved you with our whole heart. God, that we become more obsessed with with what's to come in the days ahead with frustrations and fears than we have in faith to you. So God, here's our request, that you would make us leaders that would shine so brightly that others wouldn't see us, but they would see Christ in us. 
God, we return to you. We pray, would you make our relationship with you strong, that our prayers would be bold and real. God, that we would face whatever is to come in the days ahead with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Becca, keep us going here, will you? Thanks, Becca. As we go into offering, let's just remember how great God is, like our scripture passage, and just how much he has provided for us. He's been faithful. He has been faithful. So that's why we can give joyfully and not not begrudgingly. So let me encourage you to go to the website and give through the website or send in a check to uh, the Bozeman site, and we will get it. But let's pray for the offering now. Father, what an honor it is, again, to come before you, sing songs to you, hear from your word, and Father, to give back to you. Help us to just continue to focus on your faithfulness and to give joyfully. 
For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. And Father, to give back to you. Help Amen, guys. To I tell you, um, we, we, we pray that you have an awesome week. Um, and let's just continue... Uh, uh, this week, pursuing God, pursuing a relationship with him. And a big thanks to Dean and Tori and Beck and especially Reed for, uh, for doing our tech uh, as always. But as we leave uh, our homes today, go outside, go enjoy God's glory and creation, but hear this prayer. Uh, let's pray this together over one another. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go and serve the Lord and all God's people said, amen, amen. See you guys, have a good week.